Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. As you turn there, a couple things. I want to echo what Moses said to our first-time guests. We are glad and privileged and honored that you are here. Uh, Nothing would warm me more than to have the opportunity to meet you. And so after the service is over with, I'll be back over here. You see that they got some wood against the wall with a welcome sign. I'll be back there. Just would love to meet meet you, uh, learn your name, and just have an opportunity to thank you for being here and for worshiping with us. Uh, We do have a lot of things uh, that are going on in the life of our church that you can sign up for. I want to kind of draw some, some emphasis uh, to several of those. Uh, first, we got our Black Mountain and Utah mission trips that are coming up in November. Uh, this week, we're going to be scheduling some information meetings for those of you that are, that are interested in going and being a part of those, get some cost details, what we're going to be doing, what that looks like for you. And so if you're remotely interested, if you'd like to be a part of those meetings, uh, make sure that you sign up as you leave today in the lobby. We got a table with some clipboards out, and you'll see Black Mountain and Utah mission trips are there. And then also, Uh, We are in our baptism series. As we talk about baptism, we will be doing a baptism on Sunday morning, October the 10th. And so if you would like to be baptized, parents, if you've been talking to your your, your child and they would like to be baptized, uh, sign them up. We'll be in contact with you to talk a little bit more about baptism, what that Sunday will look like, and and have an explanation of what all we're going to be doing on that day. And so we would love to know and have an opportunity to be a part of that. Well, I think fall has kind of hit us, which means that you only sweat for like eight hours of the day in South Carolina, right? And so it is a good day. There's plenty of places we could have all been this morning, um, but it's a privilege and an honor to be here today to open God's Word. And so let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive in. We've been talking about baptism for the last couple weeks. And so the last two weeks as we talk about baptism, of the importance of of what we see from Scripture, of what what Scripture teaches, uh, we we don't want to take baptism in an approach of that this is some denominational uh, exercise or requirement, but instead that this is something that we draw from Scripture that Christ commands us to. And and, and just kind of take a moment, uh, man, sitting here and and worshiping just a moment ago, and, and Scott, when you were sitting there singing that song, man, like, I went to that day baptizing you and your wife right here that morning, man, and it was just... It was cool there in that moment, man, because the words that you were singing, while those aren't words that you wrote, those were words that, that God had given to someone else to write, but man, just telling your story and the power of that. So just want to say thank you and, and so many of your, your steps of obedience to, to standing right here and, and proclaiming who Christ is, man. Love you for it and appreciate it. You crushed it. Uh, but what we've talked about for the last two weeks is, is baptism, why we do it, how we do it, what it symbolizes and what it means. Now, next week, when we, when we talk about baptism again, we're going to kind of take the, the last week's going to kind of wrap it all up, put it in one neat package. We, we're, there's no way we can answer every question, but we want to kind of get to the heart of the matter concerning baptism. That's going to be last week. But, but this week, what I want us to do is, is we're going to take still in, in, in the narrative of baptism, but we're going to take a step back and, and look at baptism in a, in a more personal manner and, and ask the question for, for, for you and I, as individuals, for you and I, just, just as believers and, and followers of Christ, what is our responsibility when it comes to baptism? And so I, I want to remove some of our titles, all right? I want to remove the title for me of pastor. I want to remove the title of you, church member, and just give us all the title today of follower of Christ, that what is our responsibility as followers of Christ when it comes to baptism? Not because we're a part of a denomination, not as because we're a part of a church, but because we are believers and followers of Christ when it comes to baptism in my life and into yours, when we stretch across cultures, when we stretch across denominations, when we stretch across languages, what does baptism mean and what is our responsibility with that? And, and as I was sort of looking at that this, this week, there was something that as I looked in Scripture and as I looked at this passage of Scripture, as we're going to look at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch here 
in just a second. What, what it drew to me for, for all of us as a believer that this is going to apply for baptism, but so many areas of our life. And, and here's what's going to come down to your and my willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit. That when it comes to baptism, but also when it comes to so many different areas of our life, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to God's will in our life, what I want us to do is, is to look at and to be able to answer and, and really wrestle with, are you and I willing to be led by the Spirit? All right? And so this morning, what we're going to do, uh, we're going to get to Acts 8, but I want to kind of look at a major theme of, of not only Scripture as a whole, but a major theme of the, the book of Acts, and especially in the first chapters, right, is, is the work of the Holy Spirit in Acts. All right, so let's, let's look. We're going to kind of, I think I have about six verses that are going to pop up that I'm going to read, or, or six different sections that we're going to have. The, the first one is, is Acts 1-8. Jesus is speaking, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus is getting ready to ascend. This is, this is post-crucifixion uh, and, and resurrection, and Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. And so Jesus looks at his followers, and he says, but here's what's going to happen. I promise you, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, right? Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity. Oftentimes, you and I have, have, have a disconnect in, in in, in the divine nature of God in the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so God the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, will come upon you and he will give you power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So at the very beginning in the book of Acts, laying the groundwork, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and indwell in the lives of the believers. And then he gives a very specific reason for that. Right, the Holy Spirit's going to do a lot of things in, in your life and in my life. Right, the Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Right, the Holy Spirit does a lot of things in our life. But the reason why Jesus gives here in Acts 1-8 is very specific. That the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So Jesus draws a very clear connection in this moment in, the, in being led by the Spirit and the work of the gospel in the lives of the believers. So here's the, the connection. So then in Acts 2, verse 1, you see what happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled him. Now, let's be honest. There's a lot of us who are deep-rooted in our Baptist traditions that this passage of Scripture kind of scares us a little bit, right? Like, we're not good with things that we can't understand. And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, and now they're speaking in tongues, right? So let's talk about this for, for just a second, all right? First thing I want us to point out, what, what Jesus says will happen happens, right? Jesus said this is going to take place, and it takes place. That the followers of, of, of God that Jesus promises to, Pentecost comes, and it says they're gathered in one place. So imagine like we're sitting in this room, concrete walls, there's no windows, we got these couple of doors, let's say that these doors don't exist, and we're barricaded in here, and all of a sudden, something like a tornado begins to work around here in this room. Kind of catch our attention for a moment, and that's what begins to happen. They're gathered in a room. There's, they don't believe that there's, there's any way of, of any outside ventilation that's coming in. And all of a sudden, like, like a whirlwind, like a tornado, this wind begins to happen in here. And then what the Bible says is that they saw what seemed to be. So they actually see something. They're, they're not experiencing a feeling. They're, they're describing what they saw. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And then verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here's what God's doing here in this moment. Now, remembering all the way back to chapter 1, verse 8, what we just read, so that they can witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this is the setting that we see. Right now in Jerusalem, there are men and women who are coming in Jerusalem for religious festivals that are coming from all over the world. And they speak many different languages. 
And so what God is doing, what God is mobilizing here in this moment is that the gospel will have the opportunity to be shared with them. And so we could get into to, to, to more description about this, but we don't have time for today. So please trust me. If you got questions, we'll talk about it afterwards. So what we see is the Holy Spirit begins to fill them and they begin to speak in tongues. So just really quickly, this tongues, this isn't gibberish. This isn't an unknown language. This isn't anything like that. What happens right here in this moment to the followers of Christ is they begin to speak languages, known languages that they didn't know before, but, but now they have the ability to speak in so that they can share the God. Gospel. So the, the context would be like, imagine if, if the Holy Spirit of God came and rested on you in such a way that as you go into another country in a language that you do not know, but now all of a sudden you're able to speak in that language so that you can communicate the gospel. And that's what happens. And it's part of the miracle of what we see. So we see now in this moment, the boldness of, of God coming in and resting on the followers of Christ so they can share the gospel. But now let's look at uh, chapter four, verse eight. Then Peter, this is Peter, apostle Peter with Jesus that had been with Jesus, right? One of the disciples, the inner core, verse eight, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. So in chapter four, what, what, what Peter is doing, Peter and John are taken before the council, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and, and they come and, and he lays it on them, right? The truth of who Christ is. And Peter is not able to do this because he's some great intellect. Peter is not able to do this because he has this gift of speech and communication. Peter is not able to do this because he sat back in the back and, and, and got this speech ready. It says in, in, in verse 8 that Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what we see is that ministry in this moment as the early church begins to form is resting in the power and the ability of the Holy Spirit. So, so each single one, like there's not a pastor that they can turn to. There's not a, a, a seminary to go to. There's not a right now media resource where they can gain all their information from. They can't go to, to Lifeway or Mardell's or any Christian bookstore and buy like the 10 steps to how to share your faith, right? Like here in this moment, they're resting in the only thing that they can do in ministry. They don't know what they're doing, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we see. And it's what we see in the people is moving and working in the power of the Spirit. And then look at verse chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. So let's kind of pause. Like We've seen some other areas back in here. Like We're not talking like three or four are getting saved. We're talking like thousands are getting saved. Thousands are getting saved. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, okay, this is the inner core. Like we see where this is coming from. We see it's only the power of the Spirit of God can do this. So the 12, the core that had been multiplied into thousands, but the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nisenor, Taman, Parmenius and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And so what, what is going on in the life of the church is, is people are, are, are coming. And, and the 12, the, the apostles, they're, they're looking around and they're like, man, we can't handle this. We, we can't do what we're supposed to do and take care of all of these things as, as well. So a problem arose. Because very early on, what the church recognizes is that we're, we're here for, for the spiritual needs, but there's also physical needs. 
There, there's the emotional needs. There's, there's the things that are having to take place, and, and we need to take care of this. And, and as the church was growing and outgrowing its leadership structure, that they've got to they got to react. And so the apostles say, like, "Hey, we want to focus in on prayer and teaching of the word. So that's what we're called to do. So there's these other things that have to take place. And so what we find in here is this deacon ministry begins, and, and this ministry is is formed. Now it's, it's very interesting, and, and I want us to look at this. That they they looked out, begin to pray through, and decide like who's going to take this on and they didn't say well well, the most organized who are the most organized people they didn't say who are the most educated people they didn't say who are the most liked people who are the most popular people they didn't say who are the wealthiest people because they could probably fund this ministry that's not what they did they, they looked around, those who were called by Jesus to be the apostles, and they looked around and they saw this, these groups, they saw these individuals, and Scripture tells us they were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, now here's what I want us to be able to see. This is what's going to kind of carry us through, all right? When an individual is full of the Spirit, when an individual is full of the wisdom of God, it can be seen. It can be seen. It can be experienced. You can look and you can know. And they say, we see these men, right? And this is what's leading them, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that brought Peter to be able to speak. The Spirit of God that brought these men out to be able to proclaim the gospel in languages that they had never spoken before. They looked out and said, Stephen and Philip and you and you and you. We see all of this in you. And it's the choosing. And it's how they were chosen to serve. So as we, as we look at this, we're going we're to look at Philip, a, a story, an encounter with Philip, one of the deacons that was chosen. Th- this isn't a guy who had had years of church training. This isn't a story of a guy who had sat through 15 evangelism classes. This isn't a story of a guy who could answer every question about baptism. This isn't the story of, of a guy who, who had it all figured out. But it is going to be the story of a guy who said, I'm going to go and do what the Spirit of God is telling me to do and calling me to go. And as I stand here this morning, and as I look out at, at, at a group of people, and as I stood in the mirror, as I stood in my bathroom this morning and, and looked in the mirror myself, that that's the call for all of our lives. Are you and I willing to be led by the Spirit to go places, to do things, to form relationships that is only can happen through the Spirit and power of God, or are we trying to do things in our own ability, in our own might? And we'll see the connection to baptism here in, in just a moment. So let's read uh, chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Right. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which, was, which means queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, that's not because he was a follower of Christ. Let me pause here for, for just a moment. But as we had seen, there had been a lot of people who had come in, into Jerusalem for the religious nature of it. And this is why he was there. Verse 28. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. It's found in Isaiah 53, by the way. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch said, Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. 
what can st- stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. The story, not of a pastor, the story, not of a missionary, but the story of a follower of Jesus Christ who says yes to the Spirit, yes to the Spirit, yes to the Spirit. So what would it look like in in your life and mine? Let's lose the title Let's lose the organization. What if, what if we're there in this culture, in this context? We're not dependent on what the, the church, the place we go is going to do, the organization that we're a part of, what we're leaning in and pressing in onto each other. What if you and I just begin to put ourselves as individual followers of Christ? What does it mean to, to, to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? What does that mean? What can we draw from this? And I think number, number one, what I want us to, to get to is, is this, is God gives us unlikely people, all right? God gives us unlikely people. But before we talk about everybody else, let, let's talk about us, all right? You and I are unlikely, all right? And, and here, here's what I mean. None of us, not one, deserve to get used and to get saved by God. Not one. A few weeks ago, I, I got a, a text message from, from someone who's very dear to my heart. They, they don't go to church here. Very dear to my heart. And this individual was, was going through a series of, of grieving and, and, and loss. And the question that was, was asked to me was, if a good person does bad things, can that good person still go to heaven? And my answer was, well, we got to understand that it's not about being good. It's about being saved. And we got to talk through and, and understand that. Because the truth is, in, in light of the gospel, what, what I know and what you know is that none of us are good. We're not good. We don't deserve to get used. And you think, well, well, I've done these good things, but yes, but set in the holiness of God, you're not good and I'm not good either. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ, it's only by the work that he's doing that, that, that God saves us and, and uses us. So as we press into this, as we think about, as we look to the unlikely people, let's understand that you and I haven't established ourselves on some pedestal because you and I are unlikely. Your story's messy, my story's messy. It doesn't matter how good we think that we were, God's not looking to save a bunch of good people. God's just saving people. And he's not even making us good, and he's making us holy through who he is. So you you and I are unlikely. And and for Philip, right, as we see in in his life, there's not a whole lot that we can see that is going on in in his life, but but the the Holy Spirit is is leading him. And so for him, it's not about being good, it's about following. And sadly, for, for, for most of us, that's where the breakdown happens. We're so focused in on all the things that we want to do, all the things we want to accomplish, even if it's creating the spiritual checkbox and marking those off. But the question is, are we following, are we seeking the Spirit of God and what God has for us? And so God in this moment is going to give Philip someone. And I I guarantee you, it's not the someone that Philip would have been looking for. It's not the someone that he would have thought, this is, this is what's going to make it in. This is what's going to be the story. That this is going to be the defining moment. But this is what we see. And God brings him an Ethiopian eunuch, right? And, and what's, what's great that, that we can see in this, and we'll, we'll talk about there in just a moment, is, is God's taking the, the gospel context of the story and he's magnifying even more that he's moving it just from what people would thought of of a Jewish context to, to a Gentile everyone. So this Ethiopian eunuch, who is he? Well, number one, he's a high-ranking government official from, from Ethiopia. 
Now, Ethiopia is a long ways away from Jerusalem, right? And so he's on this journey, and he's religious, he's spiritual, and so he's, he's come to Jerusalem for, for, for a place of worship, but now on his way, he's, he's leaving. And a beautiful thing of what we see is happening is the Spirit of God is, is drawing him closer to Christ, is that he's, he's reading a, a text, and he's beginning to wrestle with, like, who is this about? Who is this about? But he's this high-ranking government official from a faraway land. Now, he's the Ethiopian eunuch. Real quickly, we don't spend too much time on this, right? He, he was castrated. He was castrated. Due to his career and his position, he was castrated so the king or the queen at the time would not have to worry about what he was trying to do or what he was trying to accomplish. And he was a Gentile. He wasn't Jewish. And so what this would have built up in the life of Philip, if Philip were just seeing him through his own eyes, that this would have been a man who was unworthy of the gospel, of the things he had done to his body, allowed to be done, the things that he was doing, the things that he was a part of, the land that he'd come from. He was unworthy. But what's so important is God didn't think so. God didn't think so. And so God brought this point in time for Philip, right? As we look about the gospel and as we think about our role and our part in it, I want to kind of deal with, with a tension that I know that is in the lives of, of individuals and what we think of and what we, what we do and what pushes us. We all have people in our life that we think are unworthy of the gospel. When we're not being led by the Spirit, the sin begins to creep in our mind that they're not worth being saved or that God can't save them. And so we chalk them up as they're no good. There's no use. What's the point? Why even bother? And here's what I want us to think of. Think about that person in your life, that individual, that family member, that coworker, that friend, that really obnoxious neighbor that you don't like, right? Like, think of who they are. They're not worth it. They're too rough. They're not worth it. Think about their past. They're not worth it. Think of all the things that they've done. They're not worth it. They're unlikely. What if we started viewing these people not as burdens, but as gifts? What if we started viewing these people not as a burden that God has placed to live next door to us? A burden, not as a burden of the person that, why do we have to work with them? Not as a burden of, why do they be in my family? What if we stop defining them by their past failures and mistakes? And what if we started defining them as the gift that God is giving us? And that's what it means to begin to be walking and being led by the Spirit, especially in the gospel. Second thing I want us to look at is, is the timing of God. Timing of God. Um, I'm probably the, the, the world's worst at this, okay? But I want to make this statement. God doesn't need to check your schedule or mine. He doesn't, right? I can't tell you how many times I think I've got everything laid out, I've got what I need to do, and then God detours, and in that it creeps in my heart the inconvenience of the moment, right? But let's kind of establish, God doesn't have to check your schedule or mine. His plans are bigger, and his plans are better, right? His plans are bigger than what you think, his plans are bigger than what I think, and here's what's remarkable, his plans are better than what you could describe, and his plans are better than what I could describe. They're even better than what we can hope for. Whereas Philip is going into to this day of what is gonna unfold within this, I don't know what was lined up for him, but here's what I know, what God had in mind was bigger. What God had in mind was better. And I want to think of the timing of this, the timing of the, the characters and who God chose and all these things. God sends a deacon, not an apostle. This isn't Peter who'd gone through the test of this. This was a deacon. This was Philip. This was, this was the everyday guy. This was a guy who was sitting there in a part of the church one day, and he had a group walk up to him, and he's like, hey, man, by the way, here's what we've noticed. We've noticed that you love the Lord. We can see this in you. Would you come and start serving and doing some of these things, right? And then from this, what we begin to see is the, the journey of salvation of what God's going to do in his life. Like, that's God's timing, not ours. That's God choosing, not, not ours. Like, but in the timing of God, God sends, God sends him to a Gentile and not a Jewish leader. 
And what we're going to see in this moment is, is, is the gospel is going to go global. The gospel is going to begin to expand even more so. The gospel is going to go from, from largely a, a group of men and women of, of, of financial insignificance to now an individual who heads up the treasury of an entire kingdom. And that's what it's going to do. But that didn't happen in anyone else's timing. That happened in God's timing. And, and here's what I think is remarkable, right? God sends to a desert, not to a city. I don't know about you. I was just telling somebody, I, I, I was telling Kim and Kyle, I think this morning, we were, we were talking before the service started. I said, how's everything going? I was like, whew, man, busy, right? Like, no one told me that 13-year-olds are busy, right? And that's what we're learning, right? A 13-year-old boy, a 13-year-old girl, they're busy. No one told me when I was in, I thought when I was in college, right, that going to school for five classes a week was like the most I would ever have to work in my life. And then I got like a job, right? And then it got even more. And then I got married and I got even more. I got married and got kids and got even more. And time and time and time. And so I thrive with, with being able to say like, here's the, the schedule of what's there of what I need to do. And when something happens to cause me to break from it. And so God goes to Philip and says, not in the city where we see everything going, not in the city where you see everything planning, not in the city where you think everything's going, but I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna take you out and I'm gonna send you into the desert. I'm gonna send you in the desert. And I have a moment, I have a feeling in that moment like Philip's calendar got messed up a little bit, right? But, but what's remarkable, what I want us to, to see is, is what this looks like in this. What does it mean to, to, be, to be led by the Spirit? It involves this listening and looking. And it's kind of connect. The, the angel came and, and went to Philip and Philip goes, right? Look back at that, that first, very first verse. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. In the very beginning of verse 27, so he goes, he goes. It didn't matter with his schedule, it didn't matter with his time, so what's the difference between Philip and us oftentimes? Well, Philip was listening and looking. Now, let's be fair. If, if an argument could be, well, if an angel says to me, go, then I'll go, right? Is that a fair statement? Like, if an angel comes into your, into your home tonight, like, you're sitting there watching TV and says, go do something, like, we'd all probably agree in that moment, it was just me, and then all of a sudden, ah, right, like, angel there. You know what it looks like, don't know what's going to happen, be careful, most time when angels show up, people are scared, but I guess if there's somebody standing behind my recliner and I didn't know that they were there, I'd, I'd be scared too, right? So we would say, well, well that's easy, Bo. Philip's at his house, an angel appears, so, so he's going to go. So here's what, I, what I'd like to ask you, just in rebuttal, rebuttal to that, right? Quick question, do you believe that this is the authoritative, inspired word of God, that it is perfect, that it is true, that every word that it is written came from God to us? We'd all shake our heads, yes, right? right we, we, we agree with that. Well, then what we talked about in Matthew chapter 28, what we talked about in Acts chapter 1 is that Jesus says go. Jesus says go. So I think that in our hearts, there's some of us that would even argue with the angel that pops up behind our recliner, right? Because we won't listen to Jesus to go. But that's what we see. You know, he says yes. He says yes. And then I love this. Verse 27, before the interaction begins, it says simply in verse 27 that he met him, that he met him. How many people a day do you meet? How many people a day do you interact with? How many people a day do we, do we pull through a, a drive-through and scan our card and grab our food and go? 
How many people a day do we interact with at a grocery store line? How many people a day? How many people you work with people that, that, that literally their, their desk is 20 feet from yours and you don't know who they are? How many people do we meet but we don't know? God didn't give him a sign, but it simply says that he met him, that he met him. What if we begin to think through the individuals and the people that God bring us and the timing of all of these things and begin to go ahead and set within the mindset of our heart in who we are, is this a God appointment? Is this a God appointment? And so now the person at Starbucks isn't someone just taking our order, but is it a God appointment? Now the, the, the person who's delivering our mail isn't just someone to, to be there and then we can yell at them because they didn't come the day before, right? But it's a God appointment. What if the person at the grocery store is not someone to just give us something, but what if it's a God appointment? But then what I love within here is God takes us on this ride as the, in verse 29, it does also say though that the spirit says to him, right? And, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. I love that. Because Philip has got the mindset of, I'm going to go and do, and I've got all of these, and so I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm thinking, and then in this moment, the Spirit says to him. And I, I'm telling more times than not, I've heard people say so many times, I just wish the Spirit would tell me, but I don't hear him. I go back to our series on prayer. We're not going to reteach it, but two of the things that we took out. Do you want to hear from the Spirit of God? Well, two things that I think can help us with that. Number one, pray consistently every day. Every day. And listen every day. But also pray continuously all the time. You know, it's hard to communicate with someone that we never talk to. Think about that. It's hard to communicate with someone we never talk to. And we so oftentimes want to hear from God, but the question is, are we communicating with him? Remember, Philip was chosen to be a deacon because people saw the evidence of the Spirit of God and the wisdom of God in him. Because before it was a job description, before it was anything else, he was living and communing with God, right? Listening and looking is not about angels and dreams and burning bushes in the desert. There's only been a handful of people right? That things like this have happened to. But listening and looking for the Spirit of God to be led by the Spirit of God is simply just being obedient to what we know, the wisdom that God has set for us. What do you think they saw in Philip when they chose him? I bet they saw someone who in every moment of his life was seeking to be obedient to the call of God on his life, right? And then lastly, we're gonna close with this. What, this, what we got to see with, with Philip, what we got to see in, in his life is, is what I call participating with God, right? Participating with God. And it's what God's inviting us to, right? Let me take a burden off of you. You can't save anyone. You can't. Neither can I. We can't save them. God saves people. And what God does is God invites us into this. God says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to work. Here's what I'm going to make known. And in this, you get to participate in it. Now, I went to a Carolina football game last night, and we don't have to really talk about how that game turned out, but I'm used to it by now, all right? Been 42 years of suffering, right? Even when we were good, we weren't good enough, all right? It's the gospel. All right, all right. We were in the stands, and, and me and Grayson were those obnoxious fans. Come up on the thing, make some noise. And we'd lean over and hit the metal bleachers as hard as we could in front of us. And my wife and daughter would look down at us like, really? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're that guy, right? Yeah. In a slight glimmer that we can get like three turnovers in three seconds, right? We stay to the end, you know? Just in that hope, right? 
in that moment. And sometimes we think that that's what the gospel is. We just stand on the sidelines and cheer for what God's doing. And that ain't it. That ain't it. Participating in the gospel is not about standing on the sidelines and always saying, yeah, God, yeah, God, yeah, God, you go do it all, right? Participating is getting in the game. Getting in the game. And when you get in the game, you get bruises and you get cuts and you get bloody and it's hard. When you get in the game, it's a, it's a battle. It's, it's pressing. But, but what is beautiful is your teammate is the one who never fails. Your teammate is the one that crosses the finish line. Your teammate is the one who, who does it all and who gets all the glory. And, and the beauty of it is he says, come do this with me. Right? Come do this with me. And so what we see is God save people, you and I, don't, but we can participate with him. What I love about this story is God provided the word. When Philip walks up, he's reading out of Isaiah. But God says, hey, Philip, I'm going to provide the word. I'm going to provide the setting. I'm going to provide all these things. But here's what I'm going to give you to do, brother. Like, go be the messenger in that moment. Well, who is this, who is this lamb? Well, let, me, let me tell you about this. Jesus. God provided the person. Philip just simply told him who Jesus was. Look at verse 34 and 35. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? In verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. Beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He provided it. In these moments, here's, here's where I fail so many times. I answer the question, but I don't dive into the gospel. Right? Philip could have just said, man, it's Jesus. Catch you later, man. I know you're on a journey, right? But it says that he gets in. He's in the chariot. He's in his life. He's going wherever he's going. He's doing whatever he's doing. They're on the journey. It doesn't matter. And he begins to share with him. And then, and then I love this. I love this. Participating with God, God provided the water. God provided the water. What road are they on? The desert road. What makes a desert a desert? Lack of water, right? And God provided the water. He provided the person. He provided the means of his salvation. In the working of the Spirit, God saves him. And then God provided the water. And Philip simply went and baptized him. Church, I want you to hear this. Please hear this. It doesn't take a pastor to do this. It takes a follower of Christ who's willing to say yes. And Philip doesn't say, no, 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 no. Let's wait a minute. I, I gotta, I gotta, we gotta wait and, and hopefully an angel will, will appear to one of the apostles and then they'll come out here too and we can kind of wait. We can see we can get this scheduled and we can get this taken care of. Now Philip says, now nah, let's, let's get dirty, let's get down into this. And so they walk down into the water and he baptizes him. And then largely the story of Philip's done. We see him again in Acts chapter 21 when he's visited by Paul. But here in this moment is the, is, is the high emphasis of, of importance that we see as he seeks to be obedient and to be led by the Spirit. What's your responsibility in baptism? Take off your title. What's my responsibility? Let me ask you this. In all that you do, are you being led by the Holy Spirit? Are you looking for opportunities of obedience, especially in the difficult ones? And then where is he taking you? Who's determining your schedule every single day? Are you trusting in God's timing, admitting that he knows best and not you? Who has God given you? Who is God giving you? Who is that thorn in the flesh, the pain, the depth of the lost person that you know? And you're saying, no, 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 bro, you don't know them. If you knew them, you would know there's no way God would save them. Well, can I tell you, before I got saved, somebody said, do you know him? And, and more than likely, there's a whole group of us in here that before you got saved, somebody went, oh, no, not him. And maybe even after, 
Are you sure? Right? Who has God given you? But be the messenger. Share. Study God's word. Give the answer. And then here's what I want to challenge you with. Here's what I want to press on your heart. Here's what I want to lay there. Be the one that baptizes. Be the one that baptizes. Baptism is not, it is ordained, it is called, it's what the church does. Not just by the pastors. And so as I'm talking to someone, I'm asking them, I mean, who shared the gospel with you? Who's the greatest influencer in your life? Who's the one that are bringing you alongside? Who's discipling you? And what I would love to see, what, what flips this country, what flips this world, what flips this community upside down is that when men and women are investing in the unlikely, sharing the gospel with them, and they're the ones that are seeing through the power of the Holy Spirit of what God is doing and turning their lives upside down and taking those unlikelies and making them the saved saints that God's going to use to empower the kingdom. And then it's not the bows. It's not the pastors, it's not the leadership that's baptizing, but it's the men and women who are boldly sharing their faith, living through the power of the gospel. It's the Phillips. It's the Phillips that are out there. And it's the Phillips that are baptizing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the life of Philip. Lord, I thank you for who he was and what he did. Lord, I thank you that sitting here in this room, Lord, that there's so many men and women who are Phillips. They love you, Lord. They desire your will for their life. Lord, will you just help us to Open our ears to hear. Open our eyes to see. Lord, bring, bring our unlikely to us. Lord, may we pray for them that they would know you. Lord, may we share with them so that they could know. Lord, may we be willing to be inconvenienced. Lord, may we be willing to be bold. Lord, would we be willing to stop being the people that sit in the nosebleed section and bang on the bleachers and watching everybody do the work. But Lord, may we be the ones that get off and go and get in the game. The game's hard. The game's tough. We don't always feel like we're winning. But Lord, we know that you win. So Lord, I thank you that all you take is unlikely people and save them. That all you take is unlikely people and use them. You're taking old things and making them new. You're redeeming our, our past and our failures so that people may know what we've done, but that just gives us, Lord, a springboard to be able to share with them what you're doing. I know that's who I was, but now this is who I am in Christ. I know that's what I did, but this is how I've been saved. This is how I've been redeemed. This is how I've been forgiven. I know that's who my identity was, but this is my identity now. I know that I was dead, but now I'm alive. We're all unlikely. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part. For you choosing us, saving us, calling us into the game. Lord, I pray that we would respond in likeness. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, they're the Ethiopian eunuch sitting in the chariot doing religious works, showing up to religious festivals, building questions, 
Lord, I pray that today, or through the power of your spirit, Lord, their lives would be saved, that their lives would be changed, that they would surrender every, every part of their identity of who they are. Lord, I pray that they would find forgiveness at the cross. Lord, I pray that they would find hope and eternity and a meaning and identity based in who you are and not who and they are. Lord, I pray that they would not lean in on their, uh, their limited understanding, but they would press into and lean into the wisdom and the sovereignty of God. And that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for every single one of us that's in here, that's online, Lord. And and, and I pray that right now in this moment, Lord, give us our unlikely. Through, Through the kindness of your spirit, speak their name into our hearts. Paint their picture in our brain. just say yes whatever it takes if it means getting on a road to a desert then I'll get on a road to a desert if it means a conversation that makes me feel uncomfortable then it's a conversation that I'll have because I want to be led by your spirit I want to see people saved I want to see the kingdom grow I want to see lives transformed you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We got prayer encouragers on either side of the auditorium. Maybe today you would like to talk to someone about a relationship with Christ. They're going to be back here. I tell you what, I, I think uh, I'll, be, I'll be at the very back, back here as well. Maybe today you're saying that, like, man, you're the, you're the Ethiopian. You got questions. We want to talk to you. We want to share with you. We want to point you to Jesus. We'd love to do that. But, but I, I want to do this, and, and, and Burger, I promise, man, a minute, you don't start playing. Here's what we're going to do, all right? Well, you're still playing, man. His fingers get tired. Here's what I want you to do. If you've got that unlikely, if you've got that unlikely, I want to ask this, this morning that you're going to respond to God in acknowledging that. And as we stand to sing, I want to ask you, if you know who that unlikely is, I want to ask you to to come down front in in an act of, of, I'm going to submit this to the Lord, Uh, submit my my obedience to him and just kneel down down here before him and just pray that, that God would use you, pray for their salvation. That God would use you to show that God would use you and that God would draw them to himself and that they would be saved. And so as the band leads us, if you've got that one, you come down here. Let's get on our knees before him. Say, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, respond how God's leading you this morning. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.